All right. Trinity Church, how you doing? It's great to see you today in our wonderful Portland weather. I'm so glad you could be here. It's like you just saved you 200 bucks. You don't have to go to the Northwest. Just walk outside today. And we lived there for about five years in the Portland metro area and absolutely love when this kind of misty thing happens to us. And I uh, hope that uh, it's a good thing for you. Just glad that you're here today and that you're making this a part of your weekend with us. My name is Todd Arnett. I'm the lead pastor here at Trinity Church. I missed you last weekend. Appreciate Bill doing us such a great job preaching as we're working through our core values series. We had the opportunity to be up with our kids in the Sacramento area, just always so rich, getting to visit them and be around. Our son was preaching last Sunday in his church, and that was a great time as well. So we just love getting to be with them and um, I love being back with you. My name is Todd Arnett, I'm the lead pastor here at Trinity. I want to welcome you here in this environment in the worship center. For those of you cold out on the plot, we're welcoming you as well today. Glad you're here with us, as well as those who are watching online. Thanks for making this a part of your day. Well, we are working our way through a, a series called Who We Are, and we're just talking about basically what our staff spent so much time working on last spring. We talked about multiple weeks with multiple prayer, multiple times of wordsmithing and conversation. We talked about how hard it is to get 12 people to agree on anything, like where you go to lunch. Nonetheless, what we're going to say, these are kind of the articulation of what our core values have been. <clears throat> but what's been so great, if you're here with us for the first time today, we're finishing this series, our sixth core value. It, they've kind of been showing up every week on the wall, but it's over here. This idea that we pursue together spiritual growth and life change in community. So we're really, if you boil it down, we're talking about the value of small groups today and how incredibly important that is. And and what we've been doing, what's been so rich to me is as I've been talking to you over the course of these first couple of months, we're kind of kicking off 2020 by just being able to really weekly walk through these ideas has been how many of you have come to me and said, Todd, I'm so, I just, I sense that these really are our core values. These, this is the DNA of Trinity Church, which is just helpful for us to articulate and kind of rise out of the earth a little bit organizations all have core values. They just sometimes don't put them on paper. They don't make them known and therefore, but you find out what they are when you try to violate them. And so we just thought, hey, let's make them real clear for ourselves. We really feel like as we're talking to people, not only is this true of Trinity, but they're they're great things to be excited about, great things to know really are what we're kind of aiming at, what we're kind of using to align uh, our ministries and our programs. It's really what we think every local church ought to value are these things we value. So we're really glad that you're here today finishing up this with us. If you have a Bible, you can open it up to John chapter 1. John is the fourth book in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. If you find your way to John 1, if you look in your Trinity this week, you have some notes that look like these. If you want to get those out, that'll help you track with us today. And then if you're in a home group this week, these are your prompts for your conversation that you'll have uh, following this up. 
And in this particular uh, value today, we really haven't put them in a particular order. We've just kind of walked them out week over week. But one thing I love about this is just the experience that Joanna and I have had most of our married life and all of our life with our kids. We've been in some sort of small group in a local church. And I just hope today as we kind of process together, I hope that especially if you're in a small group that these things will resonate with you and you'll be able to go, you know what, that's really so true. Our group really does enjoy those things. We we really find that kind of uh, value together, that kind of life change, life on life happening. One when, when great phrase at Trinity Church, one thing really beyond just the nomenclature of small groups has been that great phrase, burden-bearing fellowships. And I want you to know at Trinity, being in a small group isn't just something that's been of, of late. That really 40 years ago when Trinity Church began very early in our development in our culture, small groups were a big deal. Almost every church values small groups in some way today, but they didn't 40 years ago. So Trinity was really a front runner in that idea of having a big value on the way that we would meet together outside of a weekly uh, gathering like we are here today. So what we're going to do is we dive in. Some of you might be here today and you're not in a small group yet. And I want to tell you now I'm going to make a pitch at the end of our time. So I want to be real clear about that. But we have a brand new kind of onboarding resource that we're using at Trinity. You'll be the first groups that will be developed by that. And we would love for you to get involved in that. I'll tell you at the end what that is and how you can get signed up today. All right. So we're going to dive in. Uh, this idea of small groups is so important. We find all over scripture of the value of really doing life together. And you can look at our now what statement today. Discipleship is meant to be a team sport. Find some good teammates and engage the one another's together. And we'll explain that phrase one another's before we're done today. In your notes, number one, pursuing spiritual growth is an essential expectation of following Jesus. Pursuing spiritual growth is an essential expectation of following Jesus. Your Bibles are open to John chapter 1, beginning at verse 35. We're going to see this interaction between Jesus and a couple of his first disciples. Begins at verse 35. The next day, John, that's John the baptizer, as who that's in reference to, was there again at the Jordan River with two of his disciples. That part's really key. Remember that. When they, or when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. Now, that was a, a really understood thing in first century uh, in, in uh, the Jewish culture. That was him calling out Jesus and saying, that's Messiah. I came here, John said, I came here for the purpose to identify, to point out that Messiah was with us in our time. That was just mind-bending in and of itself for a, a, a Jewish follower of Yahweh. So look at the, the Lamb of God. Verse 37, when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. They did exactly what John would have wanted them to do. Unattached from me and go follow him. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. Watch this line. So they went and saw where he was staying and they spent the day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. 
Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two, so I want you to catch that, two of John's disciples, he directs towards Jesus, Andrew is one of them, and he, uh, one of the two who heard what John had said and had followed Jesus, the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. Today, what we're going to begin as we talk about small groups, we're going to talk about the best small group leader ever. His name is Jesus. Jesus assembled around him 12 men that basically this group of 12 were going to walk with him. They were going to listen to him teach. They were going to watch him do things that were so counter to the culture of kind of what the Jewish law at least had been um, demonstrated was prescribing. And on top of it, they were going to watch him literally be eyewitnesses to him do things only God could do. That was going to be their next three years following at Jesus' feet. So as we see him today, we're going to see this incredible way that he begins to at least gather his uh, followers, his small group, and then we'll talk a little bit about how they uh, in turn respond. So if his role was to be the small group leader, what was their job? What was their role in that group? And that was that they would follow him and pursue him and pursue relationships with one another. That was really what their three-year uh, job description looked like. We're going to pursue Jesus. We're going to follow him. We're going to listen to his teaching, and we're going to pursue one another as a true group as well. So this idea of how they pursued spiritual growth, it plays out in the narrative of this initial reaction, this initial sequence of, of Jesus gathering to him a couple of the first disciples. One thing I want you to notice, I think I had read over this so many times, but in preparing for today, I caught it, and it was this. Andrew was already pursuing spiritual growth before he ever met Jesus, I don't know if you track that. It said that he was actually one of John the baptizer's disciples. He was a follower of John. John doing exactly what John came to do, pointing people to Jesus. Hey, he's over there. That's who you should be going after. And Andrew takes that, that uh, direction and goes and becomes one of the 12 ultimately. So when you see that, you have to realize that Andrew was already on a trek trying to know who God was and actually pursuing what God was revealing to him. So in this case, his, his leader, John, there's Jesus, the Messiah. That's where Andrew goes. And notice how organic it was. The very first thing Andrew does was to go grab his brother, Simon Peter, someone also anticipating that God was going to come to the planet in their time. And he brings him over to Jesus and says, I want you to meet this guy. He's the Messiah. You have to know how incredibly just mind-bending it would have been for guys like Andrew and Simon Peter, because way back, all the way back to Genesis 3, in the garden, during this curse, God says, I'm going to send one someday who's going to be the snake crusher. I love that phrase. And, and even though the curse was put in place, it was going to be something that was ultimately going to be defeated. So literally generations and generations of people following after Yahweh were wondering, is it in our time that this awaited Messiah is going to come? And they had been waiting and waiting and waiting. And now in Andrew and Simon Peter's generation, 
God was going to show up unlike he had ever done before. So they were just totally overwhelmed and exhilarated to think that this was going to happen. And they had the privilege of not just knowing about him, but getting to follow him. One of the basic parts of this core value that we're sharing today is what I really want to start with in understanding. The goal of our lives, the goal of our salvation is not simply to be rescued from hell, even though that's an amazing start. <laughs> okay, that's a great thing. I never want to downplay that. But, but somehow what has happened in especially some church cultures is this idea that the goal is simply to be rescued. And then after that, you're just kind of free to kind of live however it hopefully works out. Based on a lot of opinions, based on a lot of different circumstances, you just kind of make the best way that you can. And I just want you to know there's nowhere in scripture that speaks to that. Meaning that our rescue from hell is so absolutely eternity shaping and changing for us. And that's why today as we've even been singing songs that talk about how great God is and even specifically how Jesus has risen from the dead to conquer sin and death. And, and you could tell the song kind of builds at those points. There's even applause throughout the room at that. We celebrate because Jesus is alive and what that concludes currently means for us. But the reality is we were never saved just simply to be out of hell and then live as we want, which often looks like hell on earth. So instead, what we want to do is we want to go back to this idea. We were always intended to be put onto a path of spiritual growth, that we would have this sense of growing more towards like all that God wants us to be, how he would have us live. And so we say that today by starting with a lot of our testimonies, when you begin to share your story, sometimes it will come up that it, it seemed like initially your response was a get out of hell free card. That that's what the value of salvation was. You grew up in a church that maybe talked about hell a lot and you're just like, I don't want that. That's for sure. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to reach out to Jesus and I'll be saved from that. And that's awesome. But it's just the beginning of the journey. Because here's the thing you have to catch today, and I had a, a great time over lunch this week being able to share this with a friend, that God is an incredibly good father. And in his goodness, in his fatherliness towards us, he absolutely wants all that is for our best. So parents in the room, think of the way that you either are raising kids or were raising them and think of the restrictions that you put on your kids. It was never to just be a downer on them. It was never just to make their life boring with a list of all the things they couldn't do. It was always for their best. That's exactly what God has done. Not just obviously given us things to stay clear of, but also things to engage because he knows best what is in our best interest. So everything that we read in scripture that would be the, I make much of what we call imperative verbs, directives from God, man, you have to know what heart that comes from. It comes from the heart of a good father. The reason when my son wanted to dart into a parking lot and play uh, tag with moving cars, the reason why I gripped his hand and wouldn't let go wasn't because I wanted to rain on his parade. It was absolutely because I loved him and knew better than he did for himself. So God says, pursue me. 
Pursue me in the way that knowing that what you're pursuing, this relationship with me, this relationship with one another is absolutely for your best, not just in eternity, but even now in this life. Imagine the idea of someone rescuing an infant only to bring them to a shed and drop them off and go, hope it all works out well for you and walk away. Man, it's great that the infant was saved from danger, but what does that child need? Is now a, an environment, a home, to know how to live these things out, to know how to thrive. That's what God has given us, one of the reasons, the local church. So we can be that to one another. Nobody has been adopted into God's family as an only child. We've all been adopted into a family with brothers and sisters. And that's why this idea of community is such a big deal. So God is a good, good father. He adopts us in. And now, beginning now, he's given us his word and his spirit to help us know how to live this life in our context for his glory and for our good. That's what pursuing spiritual growth is based on. Now, for those of us today who don't have Jesus as our small group leader, which anyone in this room would have to raise their hand like, oh, my small group leader is kind of a long ways away from that. That's what my group was saying this week anyway. What do you do then? Well, we collectively recognize that God's intent is that we would grow and that we would grow together in our love for him and our love for one another, pursuing him in a closer community. Look at the way Paul writes this, 2 Thessalonians 1. This is what he's commending the church in Thessalonica about. He says, we ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so. Look what's commendable. Because your faith is growing more and more, and the love all of you have for one another is increasing. Man, what a great thing that a local church, and I would even say that a small group would be known for, that our faith is growing more and more, and our love for one another is expanding, is abounding. Man, what great things. That, that, what's a, that's so praiseworthy. God, I want to thank you, Paul says, for this local church in Thessalonica, because these things are true of their body. Would those things be true of us as well? So spiritual growth is the pursuit of the rest of our lives. It begins when we put our faith in Christ, but it surely doesn't end there. It's a lifelong trek. Right out of um, college, I began teaching at a Christian uh, high school, and I had the privilege of teaching Bible class, which I loved. And I remember being with a group of sophomores, so these are 15, 16-year-olds, and I remember, let's say, it was probably in October, November of the fall, and we were just basically going to go do an overview of the Bible our whole school year. And so we were talking talking about some particular biblical narrative, and I'll never forget a young man raising his hand and saying, Mr. Arnett, I've already heard this. And I sat there and I thought, you are 15 years old. Bro, you're going to hear it a lot more. <laughs> and I just remember asking the group in that class that day, for those of us even here today that are in your seventh or eighth decade, you've heard it all. It's not a question of if I'm not familiar with that narrative or not. The question is, what am I doing with it? You see, as the word of God stays consistently true and accurate and life-giving, my life is always changing. The season that I'm in, the place where I'm at, is always changing. And as that comes up against the ongoing truth of the word of God, man, that's what I'm reacting to. That's what I'm growing with. That's what I'm being challenged by. So in a very kind way, I told him, strap in, bro. 
It's going to happen. This is, this is what's good about the Word of God. It's always fresh to us. So other things like what you've been doing today, gathering together as the community of believers, being preoccupied with Jesus, that's something you don't outgrow. The idea of being someone who continues to surrender your agenda for your life daily is something that you never outgrow. That's part of the pursuit of spiritual growth. So when we do those things in community, we realize that we're living out that adopted family of God-ness. That's true of the local church where we pursue him together as God's redeemed kids. Number two in your notes today, Jesus uses others to influence life change in us. Jesus uses others to influence life change in us. Looking at Acts chapter five, so we're gonna skip, like we just did literally the, the very beginning of one of the gospels. We're gonna jump now to the end of the gospels, into the beginning of the church. Acts chapter five, verse 40. It says this, they, they refers to the group of Jewish leaders of the day. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. I don't want you to miss that. I don't want you to read right over like they came in and they tapped him on the hand and said, bad boys, don't talk about Jesus anymore. Remember, Jesus was flogged and beaten before he went to the cross. We know that that was basically this leather whip that at the end had glass and metal that was used for the purpose of striking into the back and ripping out flesh. Don't miss that today, that because of their witness of Jesus, they were being beaten to that level. Now that you know that, they had them flogged, then they came and ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Verse 41, the apostles left the Sanhedrin, how? Rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the capital N name, the name of Jesus. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they did just the opposite. They never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is Messiah. I love this passage for a couple of reasons, but let's, let's talk about what we've just read. So we began today looking at the first people joining, as it were, Jesus' small group, this 12. And now we skip to Acts 5 and we see this incredible boldness of, of men who were saying, hey, we're not gonna be quiet about the fact of what you've done and who Jesus is and what he's done on our behalf no matter what. And if you didn't know the narrative in between, if you didn't read the rest of the gospels, you would have assumed that these apostles were amazing guys in Jesus's small group, that as the best small group leader ever, he equipped these guys to be amazingly articulate, to be amazingly courageous, to be amazingly just on point in every part of their life after they followed him. That would be absolutely wrong because they weren't any of those things. Now, it doesn't change the fact that Jesus was the best small group leader ever, but what we read is we read in the in-between, in those narratives of the Gospels, we read about 12 followers who most often didn't understand what Jesus was talking about. Hence, they'd look at each other with that quizzical look and go, do you know it? No, I don't know it either, okay. We read often about them charging out with great intentions and often failing. We read about them being a group of people that would often do something to try to help Jesus, but ultimately he'd say, you're just doing the opposite I want you to do. They constantly blew it. And that should actually give us some great consolation today because we often feel that way. 
God, I don't know what you want me to do here. God, I'm, I'm starting out to do this thing, but it doesn't look like it's gonna go well. God, I, I'm trying to do something constructive, but it ends up going backwards. It gives me a little bit of encouragement today knowing that Jesus' own followers kind of ended up in the same spot. But in the mix of that whole thing, what happens between when Jesus first calls his disciples and where we read in Acts 5, three very significant things. By the way, these 12 disciples, at the greatest hour when Jesus, their leader, needed them, every one of them to a person scattered and fled. Jesus went to the cross absolutely by himself. Nobody there to support, no one there to defend, and they cowered in the shadows. So as this narrative plays out, and we see those guys cowering in the shadows at the end of the Gospels, but in, in Acts 5 being beaten up for Jesus, and still going, we're not going to stop talking about him. What happened? Three main things. Number one, they would see that as Jesus had told them that he was going to Jerusalem to die, he'd be crucified, but he would raise again on the third day. They found that to be absolutely true. Jesus foretold exactly what would happen, and on the third day, he was risen from the dead. They beheld, they were firsthand witnesses. Jesus says, just in case you think you're seeing things, put your hands in the nail marks in my hand. Put your hands where the spear thrusts me in the side and see that I am risen from the dead. They interacted firsthand with the risen Jesus. Secondly, that same group of disciples in Acts chapter two, along with a bigger group, there were about 300 of them gathered. That group of people had been walking with Jesus for about 40 days after he'd risen from the dead. He had ascended to the Father. That group is there together. And the Bible says something that was absolutely unique that had not happened up until that time is that the Holy Spirit came upon this group of people and they were absolutely indwelt with the Spirit in a powerful way that a group of people had never experienced before. The Holy Spirit had come on individuals in the former covenant, but now came on the group, and now we know even in this church age that we live in, indwells us today. They were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they realized, God, this is something so beyond what we know. It's something you actually have taken up residence in us. They knew the Spirit's power and indwelling presence in their lives. Those are the two major things that happen at the beginning of the book of Acts that lead us to Acts 5. But I really believe it's this third piece that actually was what kind of completed that picture and really gave them the boldness and the courage that we read about in Acts 5. And that's this, they did it together. They had each other. They had a sequence of relationships and community that they were doing all these things in. And as a result, they were able to see what it looked like to follow Jesus as they watched one another. That's what I think was that third spoke. When we, a couple of weeks ago, Ray Johnson was here preaching with us and talked about how this group of disciples literally turned the world upside down in just a matter of years. And the reason they did it, I believe, is because of those three things. They'd seen the risen Jesus, they had the empowering of the Holy Spirit, and they had each other. They had each other to walk with together and to kind of see this is what it looks like to follow Jesus as we walk out as a group. So those, those uh, issues really, I think, brought them to a place of transformation. Look in your notes. The third aspect was that they were following Jesus together and the community that the disciples developed and relied upon was both life-giving and life-changing. 
The community that the disciples relied upon was both a life-giving and life-changing. So here they were, they've been radically changed by seeing the risen Jesus, radically changed by having the indwelling spirit, and then they're suffering together, doing this in community. You gotta know there had to be times when certain one of these Jesus followers is just feeling like, is this really gonna be worth it? All the things that are actually going into following Jesus now are costing us so much, but they'd be looking across the room and seeing someone else that was following Jesus who had it even harder than they did. And they realize, you know what? I'm just gonna keep watching the example that they're giving me. I'm gonna keep watching what it looks like to follow Jesus in, a, in this incarnational way that's gonna help me follow him too. And as I think about that idea, I think about how much God has used that concept in my life. You see, I, I look back on all of the models and the mentors that God has brought to me and I realized the reason that I looked to them and, and wanted to get to know them better and watch their lives is because I wanted models to know what does it look like to follow Jesus as a person like me. Now, they weren't all like me. I was going back. It was, starts all the way back with Sunday school teachers and certain youth workers in my life, my RAs and my RDs in college. I think about uh, fellow pastors that I did have done life with. I think about extended family members. All of these are people that God has brought into my life that I can watch, model, not, never perfectly, but model what it looks like to follow Jesus. Now, by the way, few people have ever influenced me like that from a stage. Every one of the people that came to mind this week as I was preparing were all people that I either met with one-on-one -on -one or I met in a small group with. So talk about the value of small groups. Talk about the value that discipleship really is a team sport. This is where it seems to happen so powerfully, so clearly, and so much in community. So that's what I was thinking about this week and thinking about the way that God was changing, literally changing the world through this way of people that were working together. And the reality is, is this was always God's approach. Look up on the screen from John 1.14. The word, that phrase always talked about, the second member of the Trinity, the word became flesh, made his dwelling among us. The message paraphrase says he basically, he moved in down the street. God came and put on flesh and lived among us to show us, look at why. We have seen his glory. We got to walk among him, with him. The glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. You see, the father demonstrated, revealed himself to us in the ultimate way in the person of Jesus. Because go back through what we have in the old covenant, we read about a God who communicates himself supernaturally through miraculous signs. We read about a God who lays his spirit on an individual at a time. We read about a God who uses prophets and who uses those who would write the law. God had been revealing himself for generations until finally the ultimate revelation, his one and only son. God with flesh walked among us. God demonstrated himself to the nth degree when he said, watch my son and learn how to be right with me vertically and how to be right with each other horizontally. 
That was the mission in part of Jesus and what he accomplished so well. And the great thing is that's what we can be to each other. We can be those sources of not just encouragement, we can be those sources of modeling. This is what it looks like to keep trusting Jesus when it's hard. And when I don't know what to do, I can watch what God is doing in and through you. That's at least been the story of my friends Alex and Amy Deaconson. And I wanted to share their story with you a little bit today. It was really fun. They started attending Trinity Church. You can take a look. That's their pick. And um, they started attending after I had been here about a year. And in that time, their very first Sunday at Trinity was the series that we began that fall of 17 called Rooted and Reaching. We just talked about what our mission statement is for eight weeks, the idea that we're a people who are rooted in Jesus as we're reaching our worlds. And that very first Sunday, as I was asking them, and by the way, the reason I'm putting their picture up there, we've said all throughout this series, we wanna demonstrate this isn't just pie in the sky, great values that really don't really land. These are real people in our church who are really living this out. And so it was great when I was talking to them. I met them a while later, and they told me this great story. That's why I wanted to bring them up to you today. They told me this great story that they came on that first Sunday, and I had made a big deal about, hey, and by the way, they were looking for churches. They'd been kind of on the internet. They'd asked some friends, and they'd found Trinity, and they show up on the first Sunday of that series, and they hear me say, hey, make it a point to be here for the next eight weeks so we can just kind of walk out our mission statement together. That was thus saith the Lord to them. Like, well, the guy said to be here for eight weeks, so let's at least do that. So they did that, and it was so cool. That was in the fall, and we were starting our small group season up. And so we made a point of saying, hey, home groups are beginning. You can sign up out there. And so they looked at each other, and they thought, well, if we're going to be here for the next eight weeks anyways, why don't we join a small group as well? So that very first Sunday they were here, they went out those doors, out to an easy-up, and got signed into a home group. First Sunday they ever showed up. I remember them telling that later on. I thought, man, you guys got guts, because that's a pretty cool thing. So they were telling me about this, and then it was great. As they were telling me more about the story. They said that they got a call that week from their group leaders, and they seemed like great people, and we're excited about them joining. But they said, we're not totally sure where we're going to meet because our home is undergoing some um, remodeling, so we're going to have to find another host. But once we find them, we'll let you know. I loved it. Alex and Amy told me, they said, well, there's one sure way to say we're going to be here for a while. And so what do you think about hosting? And they did. They hosted their small group in their home after they had been here only a week. I love it. This is what they said. Yes, it's exciting. This is the way they tell the story. It says, after everyone got to our house, we talked and laughed about how less than six days ago, we were searching for a small group at a brand new church, and now we have a bunch of strangers in our living room. I thought that was great. This is what they would go on to say, their words. And God answered our prayers. We love the people in our group and are going on over two years meeting together. We have a group text where we send out prayer requests and keep each other updated on life struggles and victories. We have dinner and pretty competitive game nights. Uh, by the way, part of their group was on stage today. Grace playing the piano is a part of their group. And then Michael Burns, who was hosting today, they're gonna mention Michael. We go see Michael in plays eat sushi, laugh, and sometimes cry together. We started by listening to and seeking God through a small group fellowship and are so thankful we found Trinity and our Sunday night crew. We've gone through some pretty heavy stuff and are totally broken humans that need Jesus every day. And I love this last line. 
we get to cry out to God and be broken together and feel the peace and calm in life's storms. See, here's, here's my, my hope and my prayer is that Amy and Alex are not unique, that more and more of us are invested in some sort of a Jesus community where we're getting to do life together. We're bearing each other's burdens in such a way that we realize, God, you've given me not just you, but you've given me a family and I wanna be invested with them. What their group is doing, like so many of our groups, and by the way, like every single week, I could have mentioned so many of you here in the room in this service about the way that you value community and you're living it out. But their groups and your groups are doing what the Bible says in Hebrews 10, 25. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Finally, in your notes today, number three, you have the most important thing in common when you have Jesus in common. You have the most important thing in common when you have Jesus in common. I wanna to finish today by going backwards a chapter or two in the book of Acts to Acts chapter two, beginning in verse 42. It says they, this is the group of the, that new church, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and look at this phrase, and to fellowship, we'll talk about that in a minute, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe with many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Look at this line. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Often you'll hear people say, I want to be a part of an Acts 2 kind of church, or I want to be part of a New Testament kind of church. That's what they're referring to is this powerful passage in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. And we could walk through a lot of that. I only have time literally to identify one word that we read in there, and that was the word fellowship. Fellowship, they devoted each other to the fellowship that they had. And as we look at that word, we often talk about, we'll use the word in very churchy ways all the time. And it's interesting, think about when you use the word fellowship anywhere but in church. It might be an academic thing, I have a teaching fellowship that might come up once in a while. It was actually one of the titles of one of the Lord of the Rings movies, The Fellowship of the Ring. And that actual word, the way it's used, actually presents better the New Testament concept of the word fellowship than our normal vernacular. Because the way we normally mean it means we had a good conversation. This is how the New Testament defines it. Look in your notes. The Greek word koinonia means that what is shared in common as the basis of fellowship. What is shared in common as the basis of fellowship. So another synonym for fellowship is a great word, partnership. Partnership, meaning what we rally around is what we have in common and what is in common the most. So if you're in a small group at Trinity Church, it should not be what matters most are your political views. It should not be that what matters most is your ethnicity. It should not be what matters most is your economic status. It should not be what matters most is who you root for, specifically UCLA which is just us, you know, no one else cares. I can't even get my small group on board, right? 
So, so we think of all these lesser things and we realize none of those things are what really unite us and what really are our common bond. It's all about Jesus. He's the reason we gather. He is the thing we have in common the most. He is why we are who we are. That's what fellowship is. Now, I'll admit, I didn't know for the longest time what fellowship was. I actually grew up at churches. We literally had a building on the campus dedicated to fellowship, the fellowship hall, which was completely confusing to me because that's simply where we ate meals. So fellowship just meant food. I had no idea. I was a pastor, and I still didn't know what does this just kind of unique word really, really mean until I opened up the Purpose Driven Church and I read Rick Warren simply say, fellowship is the group of people with whom you live out the one another's. That made so much sense to me. In the New Testament, it's riddled with these one another statements, how we ought to live in community towards one another. So what I'm gonna have us do today, we're gonna put these on the screen. It's not the exhaustive list, but it's pretty close to most of them. And I want us to read these together. I want you to ask this question as you're looking at these and, and thinking through, with whom are you engaging these one another's? With whom are you engaging as one another? Because all of these are given as directives. They're not suggestions. It's the expectation that we would be in a community where we're living these things out. Don't worry about reading the topic on each and don't worry about reading the reference. Let's just read them aloud, to, aloud together. Read with me. Be at peace with one another. Be of the same mind with one another. Accept one another. Gently, patiently tolerate one another. Be kind, tender-hearted, and forgiving to one another. Bear with and forgive one another. Seek good for one another and do not repay evil for evil. Confess sins to one another. Love one another. Through love, serve one another. Tolerate one another in love. Be devoted to one another in love. Give preference to one another in honor. Regard one another as more important than yourselves. Serve one another. Be subject to one another. Clothe yourselves in humility toward one another. Bear one another's burdens. Speak truth to one another. Comfort one another concerning the resurrection. Encourage and build one another. Stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Pray for one another. Be hospitable to one another. And yes, greet one another with a holy kiss. Man, there are some high school students dating right now that are so glad that's in the Bible. <laughs> are you kidding me? God want, you know, no. It's a little different than that. And I wanna, I wanna come back to the one another's in a second. The simple reality is what we say at Trinity all the time, though your time here in a weekly gathering might touch once in a while some of those this gathering was never intended to be the place where you live those out. That's always meant to be in some sort of a small group. But let me capitalize on that last one in jesting a little bit. And I want you to take this card that's in your Trinity this week. Take it out for just a second. This is our next teaching series we begin next week called Holy Sexuality. We believe that it's absolutely critical that we have a biblical foundation, a biblical lens through which we see this all so important part of each one of our lives. 
how you understand and live out your sexuality, but also how you think of a world that is screaming with opinions, we don't want to be quiet. We want to say this is what the word of God says related to the things that are so prolific in our culture. So let me tell you a couple of things that are going on. First off, this isn't for you. This is an invitation. So this is something I loved it. After service, I was talking with a friend. He had a stack of these he was ready to hand out. At every exit on, the, on our worship center today, there are these available. Take them, bring them to a friend and say, hey, my church is talking about sex for the next six weeks. I think you want to be there. Okay, this is a great way to invite someone to church. And no, it's not simply because we want attendance to go up in March, but we know it will. Because this is a hot topic. People care about how am I supposed to think of so many things in a world that is so confused. So that's why we want to shed light upon it. So grab an invitation also on, your, on our church website. One of the things we've been trying to get better at is making stuff available that you can share through your social media. So if you go to our website, trinityonline.org slash social media sharing, social media sharing. If you type that in, you'll see this week a bunch of these different graphics pop up and you can put them all over your Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, whatever, and just let people know, hey, this is what my church is talking about over the next six weeks. It's a great way to invite them. Another thing we want you to know is that outside of probably the first message, each of the other five messages are going to be really PG-13. And I say that to you as parents so you would know that if you typically bring your kids in the service, we love that. We've never been anything like that that's opposed to that. But we don't want to overexpose your kids and you be frustrated with us. We're just making that real clear from the beginning. But we are going to do this. We believe each and every one of these topics is super important for you to be talking with your kids no matter what, how old your kids are now. So every week in our message notes, we're going to have what we're calling parent prompts. We're just kind of a couple things are developed by our family ministries, and they're aimed at an eight-year-old. So obviously, if you have a child younger, older, flex it. But we're going to aim these questions at an eight-year-old. When you're having dinner together, how do we talk about these all-too-important subjects before we actually just have our kids, we speak nothing, there's a vacuum, and we keep letting a lot of opinions clutter that up. So we're going to make that available as a resource to you. Also, on our website this week, you're going to find a place where you can ask questions on this topic of sexuality for our series. Some of the things, and the, the site, by the way, on our page, has it's completely anonymous. There's no putting of an email. There's no phone number. So you can just submit those anonymously. And what we know we're going to be talking about over the six, six weeks, we'll address. But what we also know that we won't, Hilke, our family pastor, and I are going to do a podcast every Monday, and we're going to be addressing some of these topics to be able to, again, be helpful to you. Every week in our messages, we're going to have a resource that we would say to you, we believe this could be really helpful on this topic as you navigate these issues. So that's all we really want to do is we just really want to be so helpful to you, very practical to you, very biblical for you as you think about this idea. And here's the thing I just want you to walk away with. God has from the very beginning always expected that your sexuality would be holy. There's nothing new about that, but we know this is such a challenge and such a struggle in our culture. We want to help you with it. So that's why we're endeavoring to take that on. Join us next Sunday as we kick it off, okay? Enough with my commercial. Let me finish up our time together today. As we finish, look in your notes. Know that every predator knows the best way to hunt prey is to isolate one from the rest of the flock. 
Every predator knows the best way to hunt is to isolate one from the rest of the flock. Satan takes the same approach, and we are deeply committed to help connect people into burden-bearing fellowships so they aren't hunted down apart from the flock. If you're currently in a home group, I hope that you're experiencing some of the things that Alex and Amy demonstrated about theirs. If you're not in a home group, I told you at the beginning today I was going to make a pitch. We've got a brand new onboarding tool resource for starting small groups called Rooted. We've been talking about Rooted for the last few months. Steve has done a great job leading three different pilot seasons of Rooted, and we're finally ready to make that available church-wide. Here's the unique thing about it. Rooted actually happens on campus, not in homes. It seems counterintuitive to our method, but there's a few big wins of meeting in groups together on this campus. So that begins Wednesday, March the 18th. It'll go from Wednesday, uh, March to May, 10 Wednesday nights in a row. You can sign up when you walk out of here right under the Easy Apps. There's one expressly for Rooted. And I would just say, if you're here going, you know what? I need to be in a small group. I don't know where to start. Bingo. That's it. Join a Rooted group and watch that just literally be, I believe it's going to be a life-changing experience for you. When you do that, this is what you're going to realize. Discipleship is meant to be a team sport. Find some good teammates and engage the one another's together. Let me pray. Father, we come before you as a people today who simply are grateful that not only have you made yourself known to us, but you've included us in a family. And you've given us, God, mentors and models by which we can know what it looks like to live out a life following Jesus. Though none of them are perfect, many of them are farther down the road than we are. And they have things we can always be learning from. So God, would you, would you help our small groups currently at, at Trinity be encouraged, be enthused, God, be just more life breathed into them that what we do matters, why we meet matters, what we are to one another is crucial so that we can live out this life of following Jesus from now until you call us home. Father, this week, would we be a people who absolutely embrace and are grateful for our small groups more than ever, and would we live them out in this way where we're living out the one another's in community. We love you, and we pray in Jesus' great name. Amen.